continuation or an on one of the points that we brought up this morning, but in a more po- positive sense. So uh, we talked about being dull of hearing this morning. That was a central part of the passage that we read from Hebrews chapter 5. So I thought it would be good for us to uh, spend some time talking about what it is then to be diligent in hearing or the discipline of hearing the Word of God. How is it that we can hear the Word of God so that it is profitable to us and it does not lead to our condemnation, right? So that we're not doing what they're doing. So what are those things that are necessary for us? In terms of our responsibility, what is necessary for us so that when we gather together to hear the Word of the Lord, that it is profitable to us and it doesn't lead to ruin and condemnation and apostasy so that we don't become dull of hearing, okay? So I want to deal with that topic today, the discipline of hearing the Word of God, how to hear the Word of God in such a way that is beneficial to our faith and to our Christian life. So let's read from Luke chapter 8, verse 18. We referenced this this morning. And Luke chapter 8, verse 18 Jesus says, so take care how you listen. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. There, Jesus says that we should take care how we listen, right? Take care how we listen. Not that he means uh, make sure your ears are unclogged, although it is good to have your ears unclogged, that you don't have cotton in your ears, you're not uh, doing the, it's not a physical impairment that he's talking about. He's talking about the way that we hear the word of God, how it is that we approach the word of God and the listening to the word of God, that we need to be very careful when we're undertaking this activity so that we're doing it in a way that is beneficial to us, so that it increases our faith, because If we have, if we benefit from the hearing of the word of God, if it does increase our faith and our godliness, then more shall be given to us if we are hearing in a good and proper way. But if we're not hearing in a proper way, then even what we have is going to be taken away from us. Even that little bit of benefit we have from the word of God, we're going to lose that. It's not going to uh, produce something good within us. So it is very important then that as Hearing the word of God is a central part of our Christian life, right? This is integral to what we are doing as believers, gathering together to hear the word of the Lord. And the Bible does place great emphasis upon the hearing of the word of God. That faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And certainly, yes, that includes our own personal reading and devotion to the word of God. But typically, when we became believers... It came by someone teaching us the Bible. Someone explained the Bible to us. And in large part, our Christian life within the body of Christ, there is this relationship between the teachers and those who are listening to the word of God. That God gives this gift. He gives teachers to the church for the building up of the body. That they are necessary for our maturity in the Christian faith. And without those teaching the word of God to us, without our hearing the word of God as we are doing now, then we cannot advance in maturity in our Christian faith. A person just by himself 
without the body of Christ and without sitting under the teaching of the Word of God is not going to advance and make the progress that he needs to make in the Christian faith because God has not designed it to work in that way. For us to be isolated by ourselves, Lone Ranger Christians, without any need of encouragement and without any need of instruction from others. We all need to be instructed because no man has all of the gifts and all the abilities and all the knowledge in and of himself. And God has designed the church in this way to where there is mutual encouragement with one another, but also that there would be those that God gifts with this ability to teach and to explain the Bible so that the hearers, the listeners, the the flock, they advance in their faith and in their Christian life. And that's why there is such an emphasis on the hearing of the word of God, and that we have to take care of how it is that we listen. So we want to deal with this topic of how we can hear the word of God in a way that it will actually be beneficial to our faith and to our souls and to our very life. And the first thing which must be true is we must uh, prepare ourselves through prayer, through prayer. There must be humble prayers to God, recognizing our need and dependence both on the Word of God and on the Spirit to teach us, right? We need both of these things for our Christian life. We cannot have faith apart from the Word of God. Without the Word of God, there is no faith, there is no salvation, there is no sanctification, no growth. Everything is found, our Christian life is bound up with the Word of God. We are completely dependent on God and on his word to give us life and everything that we need spiritually. So we need the word of God, but not only do we need the word of God, the outward word of God, right? The outward hearing of the word of God. There also needs to accompany that the teaching of the spirit of God, the internal teaching that comes by the spirit of Christ. Even if we have the Word of God, even if we're reading the Word of God, even if we're hearing the Word of God audibly, we don't have the ability to understand it on our own, right? Through our own strength, through our own wisdom. And this is because nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Romans chapter 7, verse 8. Everything that is in us, that is natural, that is a part of who we are in our natural state, that is a part of the flesh, is corrupt. It is worthless. It is of no good or value at all. So everything good in us, in terms of spiritual realities, where does it all come from? It all comes from God. And it is the work of the Spirit of God within us. Is faith something that is good within us? Absolutely it is. Is obedience to God something that is good within us? Absolutely it is. Is understanding the Word of God, the doctrines of the Bible, the morality of the Bible, are these things good for us? Absolutely. Well, where does that then have to come from? It has to come from the Spirit of God. God must grant these things to us to our benefit. And we must pray and ask God to teach us. Even as Christians, when we gather to hear the Word of God, we're not going to understand it rightly if the Spirit of God does not guide us and does not lead us into all truth and all righteousness. He must be the one that teaches us and instructs us. So we must have this humility that is seen in our prayers to God. This is why we pray to God. God doesn't pray to us. We pray to God because we need Him. He does not need us. He's the one that gives us life, breath, and all things. We give him absolutely nothing, right? He does not live in temples made by human hands as though he needed anything. 
He's not served by us as though we're doing things for God. But who is the one who is in need? We are in need of him for our physical life, but even more importantly, for our spiritual life. We need him to teach us his word. And this must be in our mind every time we gather together for church, for Bible study, every time we open the word of God, we must be praying. Now, again, it doesn't have to be a 10-hour prayer, though that's fine if you have the ability to do so. But it should at least be a humble recognition, right? A, a, a prayer to the Lord for him to guide us and to teach us and to lead us into truth and righteousness. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 16. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So there, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And how do we come to know the thoughts of God? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God within us, teaching us and guiding us into all truth. An example of this would be Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, 45. Here, the disciples, even though they're believers, even though they are admonished by Christ to let these words sink into their ears, they're unable to understand it because the Spirit concealed it from them for a moment. Luke 9, 44. Luke 9, 44. Let these words sink into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Here, though Jesus speaks very plainly to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, yet the implications and what this means is kept from them. They do not understand the statement and why do they not understand because it's concealed from them at this moment the spirit did not reveal to them the implications of what it is that Jesus said that it was the will of God for them to be left in this situation for a period of time for a period of time Luke 18 verse 34 and these are the disciples and the apostles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ even they, apart from the Spirit, could not understand the things of God. Luke 18, verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of God will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. 
But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. So there, again, though Jesus is speaking very clearly and straightforwardly to them, they don't understand the significance of the things that he is saying because it was hidden from them so that they could not comprehend these things. Who is the one that is hiding this from them? Well, it has to be God. It's the Spirit. Now, it is their own flesh as well, but God is the one who is ruling over all of these things, and the Spirit is not at this point giving them the understanding of these things. Then if we go to 24, Luke 24, Luke 24, 44. 24, verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. These are the same words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Right? The things that we just read from Luke 9 and Luke 18. He already has spoken these things, yet at this point, they have not understood or comprehended with certainty, with clarity, with conviction, the things that he was speaking to them. But now they do understand these things. And what made the difference? Well, verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's the same as we read earlier from Acts 16, 14 with Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that were spoken. And we must have this in our mind all the time. That if God does not bless the preaching of his word, the hearing of his word among us, if he does not open our mind, then we will not come to the right understanding. We will not comprehend these things through our flesh and through our own ability. So there must be complete, utter dependence upon God. We must pray, as the disciples did in Luke 17, 5, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, may your word that is proclaimed among us, may it increase our faith as it should. But you're the one that must give this to us, and so we must ask God to be merciful to us. The hearing of God's word will be profitable only if God blesses it with understanding. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. James 1.17 says, Faith is a gift that must come down from God. Understanding and comprehending rightly the word of God must come from God. So we must always approach our gathering together, our hearing the word of God with this attitude of humility and complete utter dependence on God, prayerfully seeking God and asking God to reveal his will to us, to give to us understanding. So God must bless the word for it to be profitable among us. Prayer. We must be praying to God, asking God to help us and to bless us. However, this does not mean that we can be careless in the way that we approach the hearing of the word of God. This is how people will skew this. They'll say, well, God is the one that has to open our eyes. He has to open our mind. So what can we do? So there's nothing we can do. We just kind of come and go as we please. And then if we don't understand, it's God's fault. But this is not the case at all. We have the responsibility to do our duty and to do everything that we can so that the word of God is profitable among us. 
right? God must give the increase. God must give the blessing. Yes, that is true. But we also must be diligent, responsible, faithful to do everything that God calls us to do. And there is a certain way that we should approach the hearing of the word of God. We don't want to be dull of hearing. We don't want to be slothful hearers of the word of God. Just like the lazy man has nothing to eat, he can't say, well, God is the one that must provide my food, right? Because in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. And God's not giving it to me, therefore it's God's fault that I don't have food. Yes, God must give us our daily bread, but does that mean we have no obligation to work? Does that mean that we can shirk our responsibilities to be diligent and to work hard and to do the, what is necessary, those means that God has established, whereby commonly he gives us bread and he feeds us and provides our daily needs? And the common means that God has given to provide for our daily bread is hard work diligent work, being faithful in those things. So it is spiritually as well. Yes, God must feed us. God must give the increase. But God has also established certain means by which he will give us these things. And we must be diligent and faithful to give ourselves properly to those means by which God blesses us with understanding. And the means, one of the means, is the hearing of the word of God. And so we're What is our duty? We'll break this into three portions. Our duty before we come to the hearing of the word of God, our duty as we are hearing the word of God, and then our duty after we hear the word of God, right? And in these three ways, then we will be good hearers of the word of God. So what about before we come? By way of preparation, by way of preparation. Well, first, we must consider eternity. Eternity, heaven, heavenly mindedness, We must have a proper frame in our heart towards what is spiritual and what is eternal, right? This is our problem. In this present world, we get weighed down, weighed down with dissipation, weighed down with the things of this life. We look to and fro and we see only this present world around us, and we have to have our minds fixed upon heavenly, spiritual, eternal realities. And the Bible is teaching us not primarily about the things of this world, It's not teaching us how to be a mechanic, how to fix our car, how to fix our plumbing, how to be a good mathematician, how to make lots of money. The primary topic of the Bible is dealing with spiritual, eternal issues. So as we come to the hearing of the word of God, our mind, our frame of mind, must be fixed upon that which is eternal, that which is spiritual, that which has to do with obedience and faithfulness to God. As we had read earlier, Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. In Romans 10.17, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. It is our spiritual and eternal well-being that is connected to our receiving of the word of God. And this means we must have a due consideration. This must be primary on our thoughts and on our mind when we gather together to hear the word of God that we are focusing not on the earthly, but on the eternal. Now, this doesn't mean that the word of God has no impact upon our present life. Of course, it has impact on our present life. But if the only focus of our coming and hearing the word of God is just to make us feel better in this world, if it's not to point us to the heavenly life, 
in that the comfort we receive now in this life is not based upon these spiritual realities, then we're not hearing it rightly. Right? We have to have this in mind that we're dealing with spiritual, eternal realities. So we need to consider and have eternity in our hearts and in our minds. Secondly, as we come to the Word of God, we must have a desire for it, a desire for the Word of God, that this is what we need, this is what we desire, this is more precious to us than anything else in this world. Right? We must see this because, again, our eternal spiritual life is dependent on the Word of God. A man who is starving to death, his mind is set upon food. This is what he's thinking about. This is what he desires. He has a craving for it, and he wants to satisfy that desire. So we also must have a desire, a spiritual desire, for the Word of God. A desire that can only be satisfied by the hearing of the Word of the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And where is this feeling? How are we filled in this present life? It's from the Word of God. From the Word of God, we have our daily sustenance in terms of spiritual things. Psalm 19, Psalm 19, 7 to 11, talks about this attitude of desiring the Word of God more than anything else in this world and in this life. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So here, the word of God is more desirable to him than gold. It is sweeter to him than the drippings of the honeycomb. And this is because he knows that in the word of God... It's going to give him the wisdom that is necessary so that he is prepared to stand before God on the day of judgment. So that he is warned about the dangers of sin and eternal condemnation. And also he receives the promises and the blessings of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is why the word of God should be precious to us as well. And we must desire it and have this craving for it. And this is where, again, we often fail. We fail to rightly delight in and desire the word of God. That we desire the things of this world more than the things of God. And we must pray that God would give us these holy desires. That he would cause our hearts to so long for and desire the word of God that it would be more precious to us than anything in this life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 2 says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. There, our desire for the word of God, this longing, is to be like the longing in a newborn baby for milk, right? The baby longs to have milk, and no one has to teach the baby to desire milk, right? This is what it wants more than anything else. And a baby that 
commonly is quiet, peaceful, you know, they're sleeping, not all the time, but typically they're very serene, they're quiet, they're sleeping, but when they become hungry, they can give themselves to great fits of rage, right? Scream and, and drive everyone crazy because they have this longing and desire for milk. But when they have that desire fulfilled, then they are satisfied. And this is how we should be for the word of God, longing for the pure spiritual milk of the word. We ought to have this desire for the word of God, which means that when we are coming together to hear the word of the Lord, there should be an anticipation for what is about to take place, which means we need to be prepared to hear the word of God. We know that we have natural weaknesses and limitations. This is true of us in this life. We know that our minds are easily distracted. We know that it is easy for us to lose focus and to not pay attention, right? This is true of us. So whatever natural weaknesses that we have, we need to be aware of those things so that we can be on guard of those things. But also, we should not be exasperating what is our natural weaknesses by neglect and by foolishness. Like I know, for example... That if I stay awake till 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night and then come to church and expect to hear the word of God and benefit from it, it's probably not going to happen. Because if I'm tired, does that not affect my mind? Does it not affect my ability to concentrate, to pay attention, to process, to comprehend? Of course it does. So if I'm staying awake watching movies until 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night, am I going to be rightly prepared to come and hear the word of God the next day? Of course not. Now, there are exceptions to this. If one of the kids is throwing up all night and you have to get up and tend to those things, then it's unavoidable. You have to deal with that, and then you just have to do the best that you can possibly do. But typically, we put ourselves in these positions intentionally, right? Because of our negligence, because we're not thinking, and we're not preparing ourselves in the proper way. Some things are unavoidable, and when it's unavoidable, we just have to make the most of it. But other things are avoidable and are the result of poor decisions. And so we ought to accustom ourselves and prepare ourselves in advance so that we're not just showing up on Sunday morning expecting to receive something without giving any thought and any preparation to what it is that we are doing. Anything that is important to us, we make preparations for We anticipate and we do those things that are necessary, and it should be no different than our gathering together to hear the word of God. And then thirdly, we should free our minds as best as we can from worldly corrupt affections. Whatever is worldly and corrupt, now of course, in terms of sin, we should be doing this all the time. We should always be seeking to crucify sin, right? To put to death the deeds of the flesh, the corrupt lusts that are within us. But when these corrupt lusts are in our mind, while we're hearing the word of God, how is the word of God going to benefit us, right? It's going to immediately repel the word that we are hearing so that it's not landing on good soil. We need to pray that God would deliver us from such evil thoughts and do all that we can to focus our minds on the hearing of the word of God and give no room for the adversary. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. There, 
Accompanying receiving the word with humility is the putting aside of filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. These lusts of the flesh that remain within us, we have to put these things aside so that when we hear the word of God, we are able to receive it with humility and it actually is beneficial and profitable to us. So the corrupt lust must be put aside. Also, the cares of this world. The cares of this world. Now, in this life, there is a proper place for us to think about the various needs of life, right? We have to do this to, in some respect, right? Doesn't the wife have to plan what meals that she's going to provide, what groceries she's going to need, right, to go and get so that she can feed the children and the husband, right, throughout the week? Otherwise, you're not going to have anything to eat, right? Everyone's going to be miserable around there. Well, that takes thoughts. We have to focus on that and think about that and go and do whatever we need in order to secure those things, right? There are other things in this life we have to attend to these things. However, when we gather together to hear the word of God, is that the time for me to be planning out the events of the week? Is that the time for me to be making my grocery list in my mind of what I need because of what I'm going to eat this week? Of course not. That's a care of this world. There's a time and a place for that, but not when we gather together to hear the word of God. When we gather to hear the word of God, what should be our attention? Hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God and putting these things away from us so that they're not consuming us. We're not being consumed with this world. And this is the seed that fell among the thorns. The seed that fell among the thorns was the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Matthew 13, 22. So these then, by way of preparation, by way of preparation, considering the spiritual, having a desire for the word, preparing our hearts to hear the word, freeing our minds from worldly lusts and the worldly cares and concerns of this life. Then what about during the act of hearing the word of God? Well, first, there should be due reverence. Due reverence for the word as coming from God. When we gather together to hear the word of the Lord, it is the word of the Lord that we are hearing. We are reading from the scriptures. We are explaining and exhorting according to the scriptures. And insofar as what is said, yes, certainly the minister, the teacher, is a man who is beset with weakness and is a man who has corruption. But insofar as what he is saying is consistent with the word of God and with a true, accurate explanation of the word of God, that is not a word that's coming from man, but it is to receive, be, to be received as a word from God. And if God was here, if Christ came down today in human flesh and stood before us with his glorified body and he delivered to us his word, should we not tremble before those things? Didn't even Moses tremble when he went up on the mountain? He trembled with fear whenever he received the word of the Lord? Well, anytime we gather together, and even in our own private devotion, when we're opening the Bible, it is the word of the Lord, and we should be struck with a reverence for what we are hearing. Do reverence to the word of God, that it is the word of God, and it is not merely a word of man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, here the church is commended 
for having this reverent, holy attitude toward the hearing of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. There, the church, when they heard the Word through the apostles, they did not receive it as a word from men, but what it really is, which is the Word of God. And yes, while it is true that you do not have an apostle, so that every single word that we're saying or speaking is not the word of God in the inspiration in which they were under, yet insofar as what we teach is consistent with the prophets and the apostles, then it is the word of God. And it deserves our reverence, our fear, our respect. We should be trembling under these things. Right? If the king of the land which we don't have a king, although actually we do. If the king of the land showed up and was giving his edicts and decrees to the people, then the people need to pay attention, right? They need to pay attention, they need to hear, and they need to give to him the reverence that is due. Secondly, we should have, during the hearing of the word of God, this attitude of subjugation. To be in subjection to the word of God as taught to us. This should be our attitude and our approach that whatever we hear, whatever God is revealing to me, I am going to subject my life to the word of God. That this is his word and I'm coming to him as a slave comes to his master. As subjects come before their king. Right? This is how we must come before the word of God. These are not God's opinions. These are not God's tips. He's not giving us his thoughts on life where we can have a take-it-or-leave-it approach. When we come to the Bible, this is an authoritative word from our king, from our ruler, from our God and our creator, and we are his subjects who are bound to do his will. He is our master, and we are his slaves. So if we're not coming to God to barter with him, to bargain with him, to contradict him, to argue and bicker with God about what his word says. This isn't the way that we approach it. We have to approach it with this attitude that whatever God says, then I'm going to believe. Right? Whatever he is teaching me by way of doctrine, I will believe. And whatever the word of God is teaching me by way of morality, then this is what I'm going to obey. I'm coming with the desire to learn so that I can incorporate what I have heard into my faith and into my practice. This is the approach we should have to the word of God. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verses 30 to 33. This is the attitude of Cornelius and those who were with him when Peter came to deliver the word of God to them. Acts 10.30, Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. 
So here, the attitude of Cornelius and those with him is God told us to send for you and that when you came to us, he would tell us everything that we are commanded to do. We're all gathered here now, so tell us, what are we supposed to do? What, what does God require? What does God command of us to do? He has this attitude of subjugation to the word of God, and he's just waiting for Peter to tell him, and as soon as he hears it, what's his, what is his plan? He's going to do it. He's going to obey whatever he says. He's not saying, okay, we'll hear you out, and then we want to think about it and debate it amongst ourselves and and have this take-it-or-leave-it approach to the Word of God. He's not doing that at all. Instead, he's coming ready to subject himself to that Word. And this is the attitude that we should have, reverence and obedience to the Word of Christ that we are hearing. And as we are hearing the Word of God, we should be attentive Right? We should listen. We should be diligent. Whatever we can do to help us in that. Right? And that depends. Some people like to take notes. Some people just like to sit there and listen. Whatever it is that a person does that can help them understand, retain, comprehend better, then you know, figure that out for, your bet, for yourself. But have your focus, have your mind engaged in what is taking place. You know, not at the right times. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, uh, don't be falling asleep. Th- those kinds of things you know, that, that people uh, tend to do. We should be engaged with the word of God that we are hearing. Okay, then after. What are those things consequential to the hearing of the word so that we are not dull of hearing? Well, the first would be examination. We should examine and consider the things that we have heard. It shouldn't simply be an exercise in futility where we come, we hear, and then we walk away and we forget what we've heard. We have to examine and consider these things, right? Think about these things, right? Search the scriptures to see, are these things so? Acts chapter 17, verse 11, this is what the Bereans did whenever they heard the word of God. Acts 17, 11. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They received the word with eagerness. So there was this desire, this eagerness to hear the word of God. And then after they heard it, they were examining the scriptures to see if what it is that they heard was consistent with what it is that they were being taught. So there was a thorough examination and a consideration of the things that were delivered to them. Also, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. 21 and 22. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Examine everything carefully, he says. Especially when it comes to the teaching or the hearing of the word of God. Whatever is good, hold fast to it. Whatever is evil, reject it, right? Have nothing to do with those things. Or in 1 John 4.1, it says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. Now, in this, he doesn't mean that we should approach the hearing of the word with a suspicious mind, as some people are apt to do, always suspecting that every teacher is a false teacher and that everything they say is riddled with error and falsehoods and those kinds of things. We shouldn't generally have this kind of approach to the hearing of the word of God. Certainly, we don't want to be naive. We don't want to be gullible, but we also don't want to be overly critical, overly harsh, overly judgmental 
of the teacher of the Bible, especially if it's me. Okay, not just kidding, right? It's because people have a tendency to do that, right? To harp and to parse every single word, every look, every thought, right? When you said this, you had this look on your face. What did you really mean by that, right? This type of minutia and inspection is not what he's calling for here. And there are some things that will be taught that are so plain and obvious, right? These fundamental principles of the Christian faith that we can immediately give hearty approval to those things, right? If the minister gets up and teaches that Jesus is the Son of God in human flesh, I don't need to go home and say, you know, he told me that Jesus is the Son of God in human flesh, and I need to examine the Scriptures to see whether or not this is so, right? I know that's so, right? Because it's so plain, and it's been taught, and we already have this conviction, right? We already have this confidence that these things are indeed so, But whenever there is something that is new or something that we're unsure of or there's doubtfulness in those things, then we need to be examining the scriptures to see if these are so. And then those things that are obvious and clear, still we are reading the scriptures. And as we read the scriptures, those things are confirmed so that we have even greater confidence and greater conviction of those things. So a thorough examination all the time of whatever we are hearing so that it is giving us stability in our Christian faith. And then secondly, in terms of after we hear, consequential to our hearing, we should learn what we hear, or we should hear what we hear. We have to incorporate what we have heard into our faith and practice and be resolved on these points. We shouldn't be doubting. We should not be facilitating between various opinions. But whenever the word is delivered to us, when we receive it and it's clear, then we must incorporate these things into our faith and into our practice and have stability and come to maturity on these things. That's the problem in Hebrews chapter 5. They have been taught these things, but they don't have certainty on them. They don't have confidence in them. They're wavering on them. They're teetering and tottering back and forth. That's what he means when he says, you ought to be teachers. You should be so firm and stable on these elementary principles of the Christian religion that you should be able to teach others about faith in Christ, about Jesus as the high priest, as Jesus, uh, high priest after the, uh, according to the order of Melchizedek. You should know these things, but you're unstable on them so that you're questioning whether or not this is valid and thinking about going back to the old covenant and the old ways of worship. That's their problem. They're like children tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. When the apostle is there, then they're confident on them, but then someone else comes along and they lose their stability so that they are being tossed to and fro. Well, when we hear the word of God, And when it is clear to us and we comprehend and understand it, we need to incorporate it into our faith and into our practice so that we become stable on these points. If it's a doctrine, then we must believe it and we must incorporate it into our body of doctrine, into our body of beliefs that we have that dictate and rule the way that we live. And then if it is an issue of morality or of obedience, and we see it clearly in the Bible, then we should say, okay, this is what the Bible says, then this is what I'm going to practice, and this is what I'm going to do from this day forward, and incorporate that into our life and into our practice. 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, 
verses 6 and 7. Second Timothy 3, 6. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but they're never able to come and arrive at a knowledge of the truth. They never have conviction, confidence in these things. They learn it, but then they quickly forget it and someone leads them astray to contradict the very thing that they learned the day before. He's saying, how can these things be? We shouldn't be like that, this type of instability in our Christian life. So whatever we hear, we must learn it. We must learn it. We must be settled on these points. Again, whether that be an issue of doctrine, we need to be sound in our doctrine. Our understanding of God, our understanding of salvation, the person and work of Christ, our understanding of our own sin and of human nature, right? The way of salvation, election, predestination, all of these doctrines that are delivered to us in the Bible that dictate the way that we think about God. We must incorporate these into our faith. We must believe whatever is there written in the scriptures. And then obedience, practical obedience and holiness. The implications of these doctrines is that we live a godly life. And then the Bible describes many virtues that should accompany the Christian life and many vices that should not be a part of the Christian life, right? Those virtues that are lacking in us, then we need to work on those. We need to improve in those areas. Even if we're already excelling in them, we can still excel even more. And then whatever vices there are that we see are in our life, then we need to fight against them. We need to crucify them, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Then there needs to be steadfastness. Steadfastness in these truths. So that we are not constantly having to be renewed again in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That we're settled on these things so that we don't have to constantly come along and reconvince a person over and over and over again of why Jesus is the only way of salvation. We should be settled on that point. And we shouldn't be doubting, well, what about the Muslims? Can't they be saved as well? Can't they make it to heaven this way? And, and what about the Mormons? Can't they be saved? And the Buddhists and the Hindus. Right? There are people who are Christians who have doubts concerning these issues. But we shouldn't have doubts with these things because the Bible so clearly teaches that there is only one way of salvation. Only by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can we be saved and we must turn from idols to the true and living God. And yet there are people who are constantly subjected to doubts, confusion concerning these kinds of things because they're hearing, they're learning, but they're never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. But once we hear these things and are settled on them, then we must be steadfast, meaning we are immovable. We have an anchor that goes deep so that we're not easily shaken concerning these things. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Hebrews 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Here, again, this drifting away from what we have learned steadfastness is necessary so that we don't drift away. If we're steadfast, then we're going to cling to the things that we have learned. Also, 2 John, 2 John verse 7 and 8. 2 John verse 7 and 8. 
Second John 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Here, these deceivers are teaching Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. Now, is that good doctrine or bad doctrine? That's bad, bad, bad doctrine. Yes, very bad for someone to teach. Is that a damnable heresy? Absolutely, if someone is teaching that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. Now, the Apostle John, when he taught the church, when he delivered the gospel to them, did he teach them that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Of course he did, right? Because he's preaching to them the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And how can Jesus die and be raised again to new life if he did not come in the flesh, if he does not have a human body? So he has taught them these things, but now deceivers are going out and they're telling them that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. And he's telling them, you better watch yourself so that you do not lose what we have accomplished, right? We have accomplished something among you in that you have faith and you believe this point of doctrine that Jesus has come in the flesh. But if these antichrists and deceivers have their way among you, you're going to lose what you have gained, right? You've gained this true knowledge, yet if they have their way over you, you're going to lose that true knowledge or you're going to start doubting, well, did Jesus really come in the flesh? Was it really necessary for him to be made like us in all things yet without sin? They're going to start doubting these things. And that's why he says, watch out, right? So that you don't lose these things. So on these elementary principles of the oracles of God, we must be 100% convinced on these things and not doubt and be steadfast and immovable in them. And then also in terms of learning what we hear, we have to avoid partiality in our obedience, Right, partiality in obedience. Most people, they want to obey in some things, but there are very few people who want to obey in all things. But our desire should be what? Is to obey in all things. Insofar as we can understand and know the will of God, we should desire to be obedient and faithful to him. And this was one of the criticisms in Malachi 2, 8 and 9 with the priests is that they showed partiality in their instruction. They were not teaching the whole counsel of God to the people. So the minister, the teacher, should not be partial in terms of his instruction. He should not teach certain passages and neglect and avoid other passages so as not to upset the people. But then the people also should not be partial in the way that they hear and receive the word of God. They should not say, well, I'll obey in this area, X and Y, but in area Z, I'm not going to obey. No. Wherever we see an area of disobedience, we need to repent and we need to obey God and be faithful to him. So when we hear the word of God, it should increase our faith. It should cause us to grow, to mature, right? We need to learn. We need to be settled on these things so that we advance in our faith to adulthood. That's what he's addressing in Hebrews chapter 5. By this time, he says, you ought to be teachers. You should be so advanced, you should have such confidence and clarity concerning these doctrines that you should be able to teach others the elementary principles of the oracles of God. However, because of your instability, 
Because of your dullness of hearing, I'm having to come again and teach you these things again, right? I'm having to instruct you again in these things in order to give you your stability back. And he's saying that it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that you're unsettled in your faith, but rather you should be growing and advancing so that you're not tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll finish with Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, verse 11, says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature men, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There, he, Christ, gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so that the saints might be equipped for the work of service to build up the body of Christ. And his desire is that we attain unity of the faith, mature manhood, so that we're not children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Right? This will always be the danger and the assault upon the church. And we need to grow up into maturity so that we are not led astray in these ways. And this we will do if God permits, if God permits. But we also have our responsibilities. And the way that we approach the hearing of the word of God right, is integral to that. It is necessary for us to be diligent when we come to hear the word of the Lord. So then let us commit ourselves to hearing the word of God in a way that is profitable. And let us do our duty while at the same time praying to the Father of lights for him to give us his blessing and for him to increase the word among us and increase our faith and our godliness and for him to cause us to mature and advance in our Christian faith. So let's pray. And then after we pray, I have a couple of announcements and then we'll be dismissed. And I'm going to ask uh, Denny, would you pray and dismiss us today?